This is Transistor.fm. Hey folks, we recently switched to Clubhouse for our project management. And the reason we did it is because they've struck a great balance between simplicity of something unstructured like Trello or Asana, but with the organization and power of something more robust like Jira. And I know, folks, nobody likes their project management software. Clubhouse is project management software you'll actually like. You can get two months for free by visiting clubhouse.io slash build. Hey everyone, welcome to Build Your SaaS. This is the behind the scenes story of building a web app in 2019. I'm John Buda, a software engineer. And I'm Justin Jackson. I do product and marketing. Follow along as we build Transistor.fm. And actually, if you've heard us say that URL before and you've never visited, you've never checked us out, go check us out. Transistor.fm. Just open it up on your phone right now. Because <laughs> we're, we're working hard on it, right, John? Yeah, right. Exactly. We yeah. want people to see it. Although, check it out. I, I have to say... Uh, this is a topic probably for a different time, but you know we launched that site in August, and I think one of the the mistakes you can make that's easy to make is you launch a marketing site and then you just leave it. Uh-huh. And so I've tried like tweaking little things here and there, like just making sure I stay on top of it. Like, if, folks, if you're listening right now, when was the last time you changed your homepage? Tweet us at Transistor FM or at John Buddha at MI Justin, because it's easy to just leave it. It is. And yeah, so you're busy working on other things. Yeah. Uh, and but it, this is the way people find out about you. Right. So I actually one thing I just added, I don't know if you saw this, is because I'm the thing, it's the internet. Like you can try something and then you can remove it. You can but if you go to our homepage and just near the header, I just put in a, this tweet from someone who switched because I, I felt like we didn't we had lots of screenshots, but not very much human faces like real people who have used it. So, yeah, I just put this tweet nice. right in there. I didn't know you did that. Yeah. Nice work. <laughs> I just I just did it. Um, by the way, I've switched from using embedded tweets to images. I think right. it's better for page load loading. For, for page speed? I'm not entirely sure how Twitter loads theirs. It might be asynchronous JavaScript, which would be fine. It should be. The other problem is that Firefox and a few other browsers are now blocking um, cross-domain iframes. Is that what they're doing? It's like oh. they... Uh, do you remember us talking about this? So some folks would load our homepage when we were embedding tweets and all they would see is the block quote. They wouldn't see it like a styled tweet. Oh, and I figured out that Firefox is blocking the not just from Twitter, but you know, I'll find it and put it in the show notes. Tweets embedded on non-Twitter websites. Yeah. They are being blocked by by Firefox. Uh it's a setting you can take off, but you know, I had multiple people who are like, what's going on here? So, um, yeah, I, I think images is the way to go. Cool. <laughs> uh, so what have you been working on, thinking about, wrestling with this week? I, 
I spent a lot of time um, over the weekend and I guess the end of last week working on uh, researching, talking about um, episode numbering and and seasons and things like mm-hmm. bonus episodes and trailer episodes and how those sort of fit into the flow and, and like sequence of your podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had uh, uh, several questions from customers uh, or problems where they're like, well, hey, I added this episode. It's a bonus episode. It doesn't really have an episode number. But the way our system was working is that it would automatically like increment episode number to the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if you had episode 100 and then added a bonus episode, the bonus episode would be episode 101, mm-hmm. which a lot of people were like, it's not really episode 101. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to show up that way on uh, the transistor website. It's it's interesting because it doesn't really like the episode number for iTunes doesn't necessarily matter. It it they use it for like ordering purposes. Um. So anyway, it, I think when we originally built this, uh, iTunes had sort of just announced their new tags that they supported, which were episode number, season number. And then they had different types of episodes, which are like full episodes, bonus episodes, trailer episodes. Yeah. And there wasn't really, their documentation was not really clear on what your options were for using those and like what are the requirements, how should you number them, it, should you number them. So I, I read a lot of documentation and it sort of spread out. <laughs> but what I, what I came up with was episode numbers are not technically required. Okay. Um, you can have them not have them um they sort of do affect how things are ordered in itunes if they're there yeah Um, these tags are these tags are specifically for itunes i think uh, some other applications are actually using them yeah Um, other other podcast apps and directories uh question yes if i have episode 101 102 and then I have a bonus episode, and I don't give it a number. How does Apple show it? Uh, they will show it. Bonus episode, that's a good question. Um, I think at that point, they sort of default to the publication date. Okay. I think, I think in the Apple Podcast app, they show bonus episodes and trailers separately. Gotcha. So tr- trailers actually show up like at the top of the season if you're using seasons okay um the way apple yeah that that that's still kind of like up in the air and that's still a big question (laughs) um because there's no real way to test that instantly with apple yeah um yeah and they didn't really have any documentation about it so what i sort of found though was that you can have a trailer without an episode number which means yes. it's sort of the trailer for your show or for your season. Yes. If you have a trailer with an episode number, it can be the same episode number as the episode that it's a trailer for. Mm-hmm. And it will actually display it. It's like, hey, this is a teaser for episode two. Mm-hmm. So on the flip side of that, you can have a bonus episode without an episode number that's just like a bonus episode for the show. Mm-hmm. Or you can have a bonus episode that is tied to another episode that has the same episode number. So you can have episode 100, 
bonus episode 100, which is like bonus material, and then oh, it'll show yeah. up in iTunes as, hey, this is a bonus for episode 100. Oh, that's pretty cool, actually. So actually, like, the way we had it before is that you each episode had to have a unique episode number, and it had to have an episode number. So that's where it was kind of tripping people up. Yeah. So loosening that a little bit and saying, you can not have an episode number if you don't want. You can make it the same as another one. Uh, that's fine. Uh, it's not really going to affect... It's not, it's not going to affect iTunes in any way in that they're going to like reject episodes. They just sh- potentially show up differently. Um, gotcha. So I, I fixed a bunch of that, kind of loosened our requirements, um, and then also added in another advanced setting for a show where you can optionally basically have to like turn on that you want to use seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that'll allow you to set the season number. Um, if you only have one season, it's, it actually won't put the season number in the RSS feed. So it won't, some, some podcast players and directories were like displaying episodes oddly. If you have one season, even though if you didn't really use a season or didn't, weren't going to, you have a second season. Yeah. So this actually brings up a good point that I wanted to discuss with you, which is this tweet I read from Jeff Morris Jr., at JMJ on Twitter. Do you follow him? No. I think he's the uh, I think he's the product manager for Tinder. Uh, but he often has kind of interesting tweets. And he said, the best digital products create a feeling of craftsmanship. Uh, craftsmanship is easier to feel with physical products like leather goods. Ways to design digital craftsmanship. And he has three points. Tell the story of the makers, which is what we do right now. Give your product a distinct personality and include Easter eggs. Those were his three ideas. And uh, I think one thing that you're really good at is craftsmanship. Like if there's a difference between me making stuff on my own and making stuff with you, it's like you have a really high quality, a high bar for the stuff that you make. You want it to look a certain way and feel a certain way. How have you, like now that we've been thrown into the fire and we're having to add things, we're having to respond to customers, I think it gets a little bit harder sometimes to maintain, like, so how are you feeling about that? Like, what are some of the things going through your head on that front? I feel okay about it. I mean, it is definitely difficult when you have, let's say, four or five people coming at you with questions related to, let's say, episode numbering or seasons that are all somewhat related Mm -hmm. but they're they're specific problems within the same area and i think you had even posted on slack something and i'm like i think the thing i'm working on is actually going to fix that problem as well like it Mm -hmm. i'm not directly fixing that but it should actually fix it yeah uh i think it's sort of like i think we talked about last time it's sort of this mentality of like taking a step back and not reacting immediately to it and sort of doing some extra research, gathering some extra requirements. Yeah. I, I thought I had had a plan. I thought I had had a good idea of how I was going to approach this stuff. And then I read a bunch of documentation and kind of just changed that entirely. So I thought fixing this was going to be a pretty simple, quick fix, but it actually took, I don't know, five or six days longer than I had anticipated because I, I wasn't just wasn't ready to like start it. Yeah. Um, well, and that's what we've talked about before. You, you can't just always react. Sometimes you need the time to kind of carefully consider what you're going to implement and 
now that I've been in this business for, you know, whatever, 10 years, longer than 10 years, I've seen how quick kind of knee-jerk reactions, how you pay the price for those later on. And you really have to count the cost in this business. Like you have to count the cost of every decision. You can go overboard. Like this is where software engineers sometimes over-engineer before they need to. But I'm talking about making design decisions. Right. And thinking through like, how will this new thing that we want to add, how will that impact the future? Is there a better way to do this? Right. You want to keep it you want to keep it simple enough so that people don't necessarily have to think about it, but flexible enough to when they do, they can do what they need to do. <laughs> and that's, that's right. It's like making complex things simple is the hardest, yeah. the hardest part about designing software. Yeah. And really you can't, you can't just kind of prognosticate from the sidelines on this stuff because until you're in it, you don't like that. Like one popular kind of design meme is, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this because we just did this, but sharing like a bunch of advanced settings in a, in, <laughs> uh, in a, in a section, you know, that's like a, a design anti-pattern. They're like, no, just make it simple. But the truth is once, because uh, this is actually something else you added is now our customers have the ability to change their RSS feed URL. Yeah. And when you've done that for your customers, like hundreds of times manually, eventually you're just going to add it into the advanced (laughs) settings. And um, one change we made is we, we had all those advanced settings and I said, well, why don't we put that in a, what do you call an accordion? Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways, actually one way I think to still have that feeling of craftsmanship is to use a design framework. We're using semantic UI. So as, you know, as a product person, I can go into Semantic UI and I can say, what um, elements are available to us? And then I can say, oh, well, maybe this accordion would be a good fit for our advanced settings. But now we have this big advanced settings section. And certainly, like Anchor doesn't show any of that stuff. They they have a very, a very simple app. Right. But we know for our customers that we need that section. Right. And so... You know, there's there's always um, this tension between, you know, making something that's well-designed, that's simple, that hides the complexity, but sometimes you have to show the complexity. But sometimes you have to, yeah, allow people to see the complexity. Yeah, so I think, I think hiding that section behind the accordion was a good idea, um, especially it just kept growing. <laughs> like there were these, mm-hmm. all these cases where people were like, I need to do this one thing. Um, but not everybody needs to do it, so it's like it just kept growing. Yes, and and actually, an interesting um, we'll give some homework to the, the listeners. I'm sure a lot of people have already read this, but Kathy Sierra's uh, badass book, uh, "Making Users Awesome." Uh, part of what she argues for is not making, not necessarily making products less complex. Uh, she gives examples like, you know, Photoshop is incredibly complex and and not intuitive to use out of the box. Mm-hmm. But she says the that complexity in many ways is necessary. We shouldn't be, you know, handicapping products 
um, just because we have this desire to make them simple, sometimes you need to leave the product complex because the user, to in order to make the user awesome, you need to give them all that power. And, and that power often means complexity, right? Cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, users, you can now change your RSS feed URL. That's been... Um, yeah. Yeah. And it'll... So yeah. So the way that's set up is that you can... Your RSS URL is based on the title of your show when you create your show, but never really updates if you change your the title of your show. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you can go in. Yeah. You can change your RSS URL if you had already, let's say... Uh, submitted that to iTunes. Your old your your old RSS URLs will actually redirect to your new one as well. Ah, oh, nice. I was going to ask you about that. So there's like sort of a history of of. Oh, uh, that's so it. great. It's all set up to like automatically redirect. So love it. See, that's that's a good example of hiding complexity. Yeah. Like you've changed the RSS feed, but most people wouldn't know that you need to redirect those. That there might be certain people subscribe to the old one directly. And so by you just automatically doing that for the user, it's a gift. It's, it, it makes them more awesome because all of a sudden you're giving them the superpower they never knew they had, which is, oh, wait a second, all the old subscribers that are subscribed to the old feed just automatically get redirected. It's all right. just clean. Yeah, it's redirected. Apple, Apple should pick up the redirect and change it internally. So Yeah. Just don't switch off of Transistor because then you'll lose the redirect. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, that's great. And, and that's probably a good, uh, transition into one of my updates for this week, which is, uh, we had this story to build a status page for transistor. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you'll see these on like GitHub has one, um, you know, Twilio has one and it's often like status.twilio.com, you know, it's a subdomain. And the, the idea is if something happens with your app, if your app server goes down, if, you know, um, if your web, like marketing website goes down, if your media server goes down and people are having problems, mm-hmm. they can go to status.transistor.fm and see what's going on. And um, it should actually help us as a, uh, as a you know, uh, doing customer support because we can say, oh, you know, there is a problem. Just go to status. We'll update you. Yep. You know there. Yeah. And uh, so we had the idea of hosting it on GitHub Pages. Uh, a lot of folks don't know that you can actually host static websites on GitHub for free. And so we thought that would be a good starting place instead of us, you, you know, paying for a service that does this. Let's just have a static page and build it. And so I noticed that this was in our in Clubhouse as one of the stories that was available. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to try to do this. Um, and I didn't use semantic UI, though. I, I've been <laughs> wanting to learn Tailwind. And so I'm like, I'm just going to use Tailwind, uh, which is uh, built by my friend Adam Wathen. And um, yeah, I'm going to build this with Tailwind and then get the first version out, which I did. Uh, I actually did it as a live stream, which is something I've talked about before. It's like a good way for me to learn is to push myself to just go live and try to figure it out. And uh, the nice thing as someone who's learning um, a lot (laughs) and is still a beginner is that when people show up in the comments, like there was like probably three or four times where I was like, okay, well, I'm stuck. I guess I got to stop. And people in the comments were like, 
or in the live chat were said, oh no, just try this. And then I try it, it didn't work. And then they'd suggest two or three other things and it would work. And it just unblocked me so that I could keep working on this thing. Uh, yeah, so that's up right now. My next step is I'm going to try to style it using Tailwind, but so it matches our brand. And uh, I've got a little bit of help because Adam did this. I forgot about this, but back in, uh, when was this? Back in October 2018, he rebuilt the transistor signup page that you'd done okay. using Tailwind. And so there's a whole live stream um, on YouTube that, where he did that. So I'm just going to follow his, his, his instructions uh, and, and do it. So That's handy. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It felt, it felt good. And it, again, I, I think I've talked about this before, but to me, it feels like the world is increasingly becoming full stack in the sense of, I think everyone's going to have a, a core competency and a core skill that they're good at. Yep. But, in, but if you are a marketer, you're going to need to learn some basic, you know, development skills. If you're a developer, you're going to need to learn some basic sales skills. I think everybody's going to need to learn to be a better writer. I think doing things like this for me is helping me like learn more. I want to round myself out. I want to become more full stack. So yeah, it feels good to actually ship stuff. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that, that it's like, moving towards full stack, which I guess I agree with, but, but also like there's still like really, I feel like there's still a heavy movement towards like specialization, Mm -hmm. which is the opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, like people, you're, you get hired because you know, react or something and that's like all you do. Yeah. No, I agree. I think this is a good counter argument. Let's fight it out. Uh, (laughs) the, even the people that are specializing. So, I mean, there, there were special specialists that knew COBOL back mm-hmm. in the 70s. And uh, the truth is, most of them had to learn other skills at some point in their career. And I think eventually, the, what the, the reality is you can't just be a specialist forever. Maybe in a few cases you can. You know, there's people who learned Erlang way back when and there's they've just done erlang forever well now those cobalt folks they're getting lured back into these old systems and probably making a ton of money yeah no one knows it there's some of (laughs) them for sure yeah Yeah. but again like you can't now those cobalt folks when they get into you know they get hired and the boss goes okay we've got this front end built on the web we need to somehow you folks need to figure out how to how to connect this back end we've had running this power plant for (laughs) <laughs> 30 40 years to a front end it's just not enough to just stay in one lane anymore i think right no it's not I, I, there's tension between these ideas i i realize that but especially for bootstrappers especially for startup folks especially for folks working on small teams i think full stack is the the direction you want to go yeah, now maybe so. i've never worked for a big company so maybe in the Big corporate world specialization is still winning. I think I think that's probably the case. Um, yeah, I haven't worked for a big company either, so I wouldn't really be able to speak to that. Uh, <laughs> well, and there's limits to this too. I, the other trend I've seen is that designers cannot get work 
unless they unless they have multiple things that they can do. So if like uh, Nick DeSabato is a designer, um, but he has overlapped a uh, marketing interest, a e-commerce interest, mm-hmm. a uh, you know he he does uh, A/B testing. So, I mean, he might say, well, now I'm a specialist in the A-B testing world or whatever. But to me, he just became more full stack. <laughs> like, yeah. he, he knew yeah. design, he knew front-end development, and it, he just kept adding skills. And to me, specialization is saying, no, I'm just a designer. All I do is go into Photoshop and build mock-ups. Right. And uh, at least from my perspective, those kinds of designers are having a hard time finding work. Yeah, I think the designers I see getting hired are more a full stack. Maybe is just a bad word, but they've added other skills. They've used this overlap technique um, that Sean McCabe has talked about, and I guess Scott Adams, the cartoonist, kind of talks about this too. Where you take you know something you're pretty good at, and you overlap something else you're pretty good at, and you overlap something else you're pretty good at, and then you become kind of the unique individual that yeah i mean you know i think the best developers designers i've worked with have certainly been that way where they can sort of they can do it all there's they still probably specialize in one thing or another but yeah they can and they know they know enough about other areas to really you know know where to know where to start or they know what they don't know i guess yeah (laughs) they, they know they know enough about a thing to know i there's still a lot i need to know about this Exactly. Yeah. Next, before we get into our final segment here, I want to talk about one of my favorite companies, Balsamic. They have sponsored this episode, and uh, I've actually been good friends with Peldi, the founder, for a long time. He's from Italy. He's like the most lovable person in technology. Um, <laughs> I've got I've got some funny stories about uh, Peldi and, and I. Um, may I'll tell them in different different episodes, but. He recently told me they're expanding their offering at Balsamic. So if you don't know them, they're basically the perfect wireframing tool for SaaS founders. You don't have to be a UX professional to use it. This is exactly what we were just talking about You know, you, in terms of specialization. If you're just a product person and you're not a designer, you can drag and drop. You'll have all your ideas on kind of digital paper, ready to talk about it with investors, developers, and designers. And they've just added a whole section to their website that teaches you how to wireframe, regardless of what product you use. They have courses on UI design, quick articles like, you know, when should you use a checkbox instead of a radio button, uh, inspirational videos. And you can get all of this at balsamic with a Q.com slash learn. By the way, we didn't hear about whether or not that was an Easter egg at the end of the last episode. If I'm saying balsamic correctly... Oh, balsamic or balsamic? Yeah, balsamic or balsamic. I think we've all already recognized that most Canadians, uh, we don't go ah, we go ah. Yeah. I think that's the difference. Uh, and so, I, I, I talked about this as well with a friend uh, on Saturday that I was having dinner with. Mm-hmm. And... Like you were saying, <laughs> you were saying, I got to tell you about something annoying my partner does. Uh, I don't even know why it came up, but I, I did mention the JavaScript thing. Yeah. Um, but he but he brought up a good point. He was like, I have this friend or friends or someone that I know that lives in South Africa or is okay. from South Africa. And they, like, let's say you have someone's named Deborah, 
right? Yeah. And then there's also an animal called a zebra. Debra, zebra, yeah. But they're spelled the same. And people in South Africa call zebras zebras, which makes zebras. Total, which makes total sense because that's how that's exactly how. Yeah, let's get some consistency. Consistency. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's a good point. I like this. I like language this. is language is an interesting thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what's next, John? What else have you been kind of thinking about? Um, I've been thinking a lot about um, this idea of private podcasts oh yeah something i think we've talked about a bit we've gotten a lot of requests like last week we had like five or six people at least send us a message through our support system being like hey do you support private podcasts in this way what happens if i give out this private podcast feed and i have an Mm -hmm. employee that that leaves or gets fired yeah but they still technically have access to this thing yeah. So I feel like there's something there and I don't know what the answer is yet. Yeah. I can see I can see the benefit of it and having this like private app for your company, for your employees mm-hmm. where you can get some amount of control about who can see it. Yeah. So there so there's an account aspect, but there's definitely like easier ways to do this and I and better ways to do it. And I actually my friend that I was talking to on Saturday had some good ideas about it. Um, mm-hmm. There are ways to actually integrate with things like um, Google Apps or Microsoft Exchange, it? like Exchange or the or um, these directory services for a company, so that okay. the authentication is actually tied to that. So let's say you have a company of 100 people; um, they could log in or sign up to get access to this private podcast through their Google Apps. Mm. If that person leaves the company and no longer has an email, they just don't get access anymore. Interesting. Which is super interesting. Yeah, um, because people have asked that, and I've always kind of been like, ah, like, how can we integrate with your exchange server? That just sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, basically, you want to, like, yeah, not have to deal with, like, emails and passwords for these people. Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting. It, and I, of course, the the tension is: um, should we add this to Transistor, or is this like a different product? You know, right? I mean, yeah, it's a it's definitely a premium. It'd be a premium offering, I think, for Transistor or possibly yeah. a separate product. I'm not sure. I I think when I had some thoughts that about this too. I think if we added it to Transistor, it would be a whole new tier, like an enterprise tier. Yep. One ninety nine, two ninety nine a month or something, and um, because it would require more support, it would require you know this whole other. It would be it would require supporting more users, which is the the difficult part. Right. Right now, you know, we have a team section, but most teams on Transistor are one or two people, and it just means we don't have to support as many people. But as soon as we have thousands of people from IBM signing up to listen to a podcast. Yeah, it depends how we do it. I don't know if those people would necessarily be reaching out to us for support mm-hmm. or if sort of whoever is in charge at the company to run the podcast would. So maybe we'd still only have like one point of contact. Yeah. What I like about it is it's it it gives us a potential for expansion revenue. Mm-hmm. So we could say if you want just a normal private podcast feed 
with basically one username and password that you share with people. Um, you can do that right now. We have that in our plans right now. But if you want this enterprise, secure, very private, like you have to authenticate each user mm-hmm. to, to listen, that's $2.99 a month. And, um, you know, this is what we provide for it. And, you know, it, the questions get a lot harder there. Like those enterprise clients, we've already had some of them contact us and they ask hard questions yeah. about security, about, you know, they want their IT director to talk to us and then they have this audit checklist. And, right. it, you know, it would it would have to be, I know some competitors are charging like 500 bucks a month for this, right? Yeah. And it's because it just takes more time. But if there's enough interest, you know, maybe it'd be worthwhile. And I could see... Yeah, it feels like it feels like there's something there. And I could see other people using it different ways, too. Like, yeah. you know, if you are someone who really wants every single listener to have their own username and password, like maybe you're starting a membership site or, you know, whatever... I could see you wa- you might want something like this, although you mm-hmm. probably couldn't afford those big enterprise rates. Right. Unless you're charging for your memberships. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying like right. membership sites are you generally, you know, those businesses, they don't, they probably don't pay any, they don't have any services they pay $2.99 yeah. a month for. So, yeah, I think there's something there to, to look into uh, whether or not, you know, part of me thinks that, it'd probably be pretty beneficial to try to build um, native apps for iOS and Android. But you can mm-hmm. do that with, you can do that fairly easily now with like um, React Native where you can build it once and it rolls out to, so we'd, we, we'd have like a transistor app in the app store that yeah that you would, you would authenticate into through your, like through this, whatever system we built, you basically authenticate into your private podcast. You'd listen to the podcast through that. Mm-hmm. So that way it's like, it's very secure. It's very private. No one can really like grab the audio. Um, and then that would, that would keep track of, you know, new episodes rolling in. You could maybe download them to your, to your app itself and, and listen there. That's obviously a much bigger, that's a much bigger build than just like building out a simple website. But mm-hmm. um, I think, I, I don't know. I think there's something there. Yeah, and, and, and that there's not really anyone doing it or doing it well. Yeah, well, and we know there's compet like there are competitors, but yeah, there seems to be opportunity. Part of the reasons we got here is because I tested out with just with SEO. I I created a blog post called uh, "Create a Private Podcast for Your Team," and now we rank number one for a lot of those keywords, <laughs> and so we're getting all of this traffic because we're number one. And yeah, it's been interesting to see what kinds of companies like. Every once in a while in Slack, I'm like, John, did you see who just signed up? God, like, this is crazy. Yeah. But yeah, the the, the hard part as a two-person team is, can we do that? Can we serve those customers? Right. And I, and I think the traditional wisdom has been like, don't, like, there's people right now yelling at their podcast players going, John and Justin, don't get into that. It's going to be too hard, too much of a distraction. But on the other hand, sometimes you have to challenge some of that traditional wisdom and go, yeah. well... Maybe not. Maybe maybe we could do it and it wouldn't be that much more work. And it would be I mean, a hundred customers at two ninety nine, that's almost thirty thousand dollars a month in MRR. Right. Like that's 
I already know from dealing with those kinds of customers in the past, yeah, they're a pain in the ass to sign up and get onboarded because they've got so many questions and so many hoops you've got to go through. But once you get them, they stick around forever. They yep. uh, they take very little of your time. Yeah, they're very little. I mean, they're they're not necessarily uh, these big flashy like podcasts. You know, they're not like flashy, super popular podcasts. But like, mm-hmm. at some point, like, who cares? You don't need that. Like, oh yeah, I think we've definitely. Certain, yeah, <laughs> I think we've definitely discovered that the the big kind of sexy, you know, podcasts that people think about those. That's not where the business is. The business no. is in the super boring, like the company that just wants to distribute a podcast to their salespeople, the nonprofit that just wants to have a podcast alongside their blog and newsletter, right. the solopreneur who just wants to get, you know, a thousand true fans and, uh, you know, have committed listeners every week. But, you know, a thousand, a thousand subscribers would be great for them. And would help them sustain their business. Those are, that's those are our customers. And um, if our goal is to help even the most boring shows get connect with their audience, uh, which increasingly it feels like that's kind of what we're doing. Right. Yeah, I think this might be a good next step for sure. But hey, sometimes boring is okay. No, I think I think that is the lesson. (laughs) Actually, that should be that should be the title. Boring is okay. Because I think I don't think people think like people think of Stripe as this big sexy startup. They have the most boring, tedious back end work you can imagine. Like for programmers working there, I'm sure there are some programmers that are stuck in just like they, they probably have to go build scrapers for bad bank websites and stuff. Probably, like, yeah. Like yeah. it, boring is fine, boring is good. Most of the businesses in the world are incredibly boring. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good lesson. Maybe just to finish off the show here, uh, Jason Cohen wrote an article called Startup Kung Fu. I'll put the link in the show notes, saas.transistor.fm slash 49. And there's just a bunch of, it's like bite-sized wisdom, maybe 20 points. Yeah all the lessons he's learned, uh, a few things I wanted to talk about with you quick. He says, MVP, minimum viable product, is the wrong idea. He says, aim for SLC instead. Simple, lovable, and complete. And I just love that idea. So he goes, um, for simple, if the product never claimed to do more than it does, customers are forgiving. Meaning, if you, from the beginning, you say, this is just a simple product that does this, Customers will forgive you, but if you are a product that's saying, well, this is just us right now, but it's going to be so much more, customers, you've kind of promised something to deliver something that you may never get to. Right. And I think, I mean, I've certainly fallen into this trap where I want to say, oh yeah, we've got so much more coming. But recently I've been thinking, and actually I got this from Brian Castle at, from the Bootstrapping Web Podcast. He goes... He tries to uh, discourage people from signing up for his apps and his <laughs> services. He'll be like, "Is this really right for you?" You know what? What he he's almost being just completely just saying this is not the right fit for you. Or if you're trying to do this, don't bother because it's just not going to be the right fit. 
And long-term, that's such a great way to do it because if people sign up, they know what you offer and they're, that's what they're signing up for. Right. Yeah, and I, th- I think we did that. Mm-hmm. When we launched, we didn't really... I don't think we over-promised, and we certainly had things that we wanted to do, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, people are definitely asking us about like uh, dynamic content, which is something yeah. we've talked about. In some ways, you want to let people know sometimes what's coming down the pipe, but uh, lovable, I think, is the key part uh, of this equation. Like, People have to want to use it, and that products that do less but are loved are more successful than products which have more features. That's a quote from his article. Okay. I, I think this is so true, and he talks about different ways to get love, like, you know, uh, a really delightful user experience, the attitude and culture of the company itself, a deep connection to the psyche and work style of the customers. So he talks about all the ways a product can be lovable. And that just really resonated with me because I've noticed like the things that I buy and use are have some part of them that are lovable, you know, like there's something yeah. like, Oh, I just love the way this feels, or I love the way the founder thinks, or this, this user experience, this design is just delightful. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. I mean, once you think about like the physical products you bought that sort of, that you're just like, yeah, this thing is, this thing is great. I'm going to recommend this to everyone. It's great. Like the small details are just like, Yes. Yeah, and if you listen, like again, if you're if you have your ears open in a coffee shop and you hear somebody recommending something, listen to the language that they use and the reasons they're recommending it. And it's almost always like, oh wow, they really love this product. They don't. It's not like viable. Like that's the minimum viable product. <laughs> viable is like, and I I think it's been a distraction to people because they're yeah they're they're just thinking of the thing itself rather than what Kathy Sierra kind of recommends, which is make don't make the thing more awesome, make the user more awesome. Yeah. I think MVP was sort of like a it's an, like an acronym to rally around really then mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily the most accurate one, but it was something. Yeah. Well and I'm I actually think there's value in just having these ideas. People like I'm glad that there was MVP because that spawned all sorts of thinking around product design. But I, I like it when people iterate on it and go, well, maybe it's not MVP, maybe it's SLC. Right. I mean, would you would you want to sign up for a product because you love it or because it's viable? Yeah. Like eh. yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of like your marketing page says, uh, this product has enough features. It's it's <laughs> you know? it's fine. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah and complete means it's don't release version 0.1 release version 1.0 yeah right and that was definitely something we did is when we launched in august that was us saying we feel like this is version 1.0 yeah it was done enough for the time yeah like yeah yes it was definitely a 1.0 and you'll know if your product is lovable because you will feel the love. And so if if you're not getting people tweeting or recommend or writing you in your customer support and saying, man, thank you so much for building this. It is just such a delight to use. Uh, I would say that there's a signal there that you need to be worried about. 
Yeah, we certainly don't have people, like I said, emailing us being like, hey, man, this is this is viable. Yeah, this is, this is viable. Thanks for thanks so much for like, making no a viable gonna, product. No one's going to reach out and email you <laughs> and like, you know, give you praise because it's it's like, meh, it's fine. This product is so basic. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but we have gotten that feedback and that's to me a good signal when i get yeah. the feedback it's also a good reminder like if you love something reach out to the founders and let them know like just tweet at them or write an email or like if something is enjoyable for you to use um then let the people who are making it know because that's the kind of feedback they need that yeah. lets them know they're on the right track Cool. Well, I think that's probably good for this week. Uh, John, why don't you roll through our Patreons? All right. Thank you, as always, to our supporters on Patreon. Um, Kyle Fox at Get Rewardful. Uh, my brother, Dan Buddha. DanBuddha.com. Darby Frey. Uh, Samori Augusto. Dave Young. Brad from Canada. Kevin Markham. Sammy Schuchert. Dan Erickson. Mike Walker, Adam Devander, Dave Ajunta. Junta. Uh, and uh, our sponsors for this week, uh, Clubhouse and Balsamic. Balsamic. That's right. Balsamic. First of all, I know some of you were actually like reading along or like, you've memorized those names now. If you want your name to be on that list, patreon.com slash John Justin. That's how you become a Patreon, and we really appreciate all those folks. Helps pay for editing this show, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.